Good morning, everyone. This morning's scripture reading is taken from Romans chapter 14, verses 13 through 23. In the Blue Pew Bibles, it can be found on page 977. Again, the text is Romans 14, verses 13 through 23, found on page 977 of the Pew Bibles. Hear now the word of the Lord. Therefore, Let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is no, not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. All right, thank you, Lydia. Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, uh, we know that we cannot understand your word apart from your spirit. Father, even if we grasp the, the meaning, Father, it will not move us unless we have your power, your strength. So open our eyes, open our eyes, that we might see wonderful things in your law. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For we pray in the mighty and merciful name of Jesus, amen. Several weeks ago, I was with a couple, uh, probably late 20s, and um, they were going through an incredibly difficult time. It was a very unforeseen event. She was about 35 weeks along, uh, expecting their second child, and uh, just out of nowhere, uh, the, the child, uh, something that they, uh, the mom began to realize, feel something was wrong, went to the doctor, and sure enough, the child had passed, and the doctors were trying to figure it out. They were in the hospital. I was there with them. And it was interesting because she, um, she was from a, my understanding was that she was from a traditional Catholic family, uh, lo- local here to St. Louis. He, uh, her husband was, uh, Bos- was Bosnian, was, uh, he and his family were Muslim. And as I talked with both of them and as I prayed with both of them and with most of their families both present, you could sense the tension. Not only was there grief, not only was there lament, brokenheartedness, but you could feel a sense of um, just that they're on different pages. And this wasn't just today, it wasn't just that incident. You could tell 
that it was, uh, there was, there was, there was a, um, a disconnect, to say the least, between these two families. And so as I was there, and uh, I asked if, I, if they would like me to pray, asked the couple, would you like me to pray for you? Um, they, they said yes, and we, uh, we, I launched into prayer. And as I prayed, one of the things that God brought to my, my mind by his grace was something like the following. I said, I, I said, Father, may any differences or divisions that this family has or these family have, and then I, in parentheses, so to speak, said, for all families have divisions, right? <laughs> all families have, all marriages all relationships, at some point, there's some sort of friction, there's some sort of disagreement, whether in varying degrees, but almost all families have real significant differences. They view life differently. And it's not just true of a biological family, it's true of what? A church family. And that's what Paul's addressing. And as I was praying, I said, may any differences or disputes they have be set aside. There's just been this tragedy, no loss of this little one. And in light of that tragedy, if anything good, if anything good can come from it, maybe, maybe it might be this refocusing about what really matters. In fact, one of the if you'd call it an upside, I don't know what you want to call it, but one of the upsides of ministering to people in crisis is that they often come to a place of sobriety where the things that matter to them, all this stuff that they care about, they realize, you know what? It really doesn't matter that much. And regularly, routinely, when I am praying with people in, in, in a hospital, I will pray for that. God, from here on out, would you give them a clarity because many of them, they're, they're in a situation, they're going to get out of the hospital. It's not, it's not eternal, it's not final, it's, it's not, they're going to get out. And the question is, will they actually learn from this other, what the, from this seemingly unnecessary, seemingly pointless, seemingly intrusive event in their life? And so often, I don't know about you, but so often I can see conflict precisely in those means, right? You think, I'm kind of, what, what's the point of this argument? Right? You're driving down the road. Sarah and I, one of our favorite places to have arguments is in the, the car. Right? Some of our, our most award-winning, Oscar-level, you know, Olympic-level, gold-medal arguments have been in the car. Right? And it's so important. Right? It's so important that I can't, uh, two days later I can't remember what we were arguing about. Right? But it's so important. And Paul here is writing and he's challenging us to think what really matters? What's really important in life? And so I say, so again, going back to the prayer, Father, may any of these differences or disputes they have, may they be set aside, may they no longer distract them from what really matters. Do you got that? And then I pray, God, would you rally around each Sorry, may they, may all the family members rally around each other in love, in humility, and in service. And I tell you, gang, so often when I pray this, 
you know, in a room like that, especially in a very, in a very difficult situation, there's a loss of a loved one, or when there's been a real tragedy, when I pray that you can feel, you can feel the tension in the room, you can feel the sense of, oh, yeah, maybe I need to rethink things. And there's this beautiful moment of maybe, maybe how I'm seeing things, maybe the priorities that I have should be reconsidered. So as a church family, and I can say this not just particularly about us, but as a nation, right? Given all that we have been through, the hardships that we have been through the last two, three years, have we not experienced enough loss, enough hardship, enough struggle these last two years? Do we, do we want any more to be distracted by the disputes that are dividing the world around us? Are we going to let that happen at Good Shepherd? And I, and I have to say, listen, by God's grace, from what I know of, and often the pastor, I'm the last to find out things, <laughs> but what I know of, God has preserved us these last two years that we have navigated, and as a leadership, boy, has it been challenging to, 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 uh, to uh, make our way through all of these things and to lead well. As, the, as I feel like we live on a um, centrifuge, right? You just sort of, America is just constantly spinning and everything's pulling outward to keep us from being together. And so we, do we really want to be distracted by the disputes that are dividing the world around us? And some of you may say no, and others of you may say yes. Right? Don't you realize how important these things are? That's the question, that's the whole issue, is what's important, what's the disputable matter, what is and what isn't. My, my, my plea, Paul's plea for us, is will we rally around each other in love and humility and service as fellow servants of the same Lord, as fellow siblings of the same Father. Now, as we get into this text again, Paul's, we went the first 12 verses last week, and I just want to briefly take a few, won't take long this morning. We're going, to be, we're, going to actually be, we're going to devote our Sunday school time to talking about this, so I don't need to spend too much time here, but I just want to highlight a few things. First, I want to review this question of what issues are disputable, right? What really, when, at the end of the day, that's the question, right? We can talk about, okay, this is how you handle disputable matters, and you can think, well, great, well, we're, what we're talking about is not a disputable matter, <laughs> right? And the, and the answer is, or, I mean, the answer to that question, what's a dis- what, is, what issues are actually disputable, can be answered by the following question. Is the issue in mind, issue X, is it addressed clearly and commonly in the word of God and by the people of God throughout the last uh, 2,000 years? Let Let me say that again. Is the issue addressed clearly and commonly in scripture? Is it both obvious and often in the word of God and amongst the people of God? By the people of God, I mean not just the people who are good shepherd, or people, American Christians, American 21st century Christians. It's about Christians who have lived the last 21, 21 centuries throughout the world. So let me take an issue like sexuality or even homosexuality. For you, if you were to talk about Christians in America, that would be a hot issue, a dividing, dividing topic. But if you were to talk to Christians over the last 2,000 years, if you were to talk to Christians in Africa, in Asia, they would have different views. They would have other views about sexuality. See, there are things that become controversial in a certain generation or a certain place that when you actually look in the context of the broader stream of church history, they're not as controversial as they may seem. Or take the issue of greed. 
Greed is a phenomenal issue. You can take, just look through Scripture and find again and again how Scripture speaks of wealth. It's very clear and it's very common. And it can be summarized in a sentence that, that wealth is incredibly dangerous. Jesus sees wealth as way more dangerous than racism. He just does. He just does. If you were to fill in the blank today, it is easier for camel to have a needle than for a blank man to enter the kingdom of God. What would we filled in today? I don't know, pedophile, racist, white supremacist. We have all these things that we're really, really concerned about. And are they concerns? They are concerns. No one's denying that there aren't issues of justice. But Jesus will look on you and I and say, listen, it's a rich man. And by a rich man, he doesn't mean someone who's wealthier than you. Pretty much everyone in this room qualifies as a rich man. Almost everyone in America would qualify as a rich man. Okay, we have wealth that is un, un, unimagined by, by most of the ancient world. And we also, so last week, also looked at justice and political power. I'm not going to spend the, take the time to talk about that again because we spent time on it last week and we can talk about it in our Sunday school class afterward. So listen, let me just let me ask a question before jumping into this, explaining a few issues in the text. I think it's important. Why do we often make small issues into, why do we make small issues into big ones? Why do we often, why is there this temptation to make mountains out of molehills? I'll give you four reasons. One, I don't know about you, but I love to be right. We like being right, right? Like I said, in arguing in marriage, right? I was like, I don't know what the issue was about the other day, but I remember that I was, I was right. That's all that really matters. So why do we make mountains out of molehills? Because it's something I can be right about. So often when we are so wrong in every other area of life, we want to be right at least in one thing. It's going to be this thing. So first is being right. Second is lived experience. When our life has in some way come face to face with a specific issue. Take the example of alcohol. Let's say that I grew up in an al- a home where one or more persons in my, in my family was an alcoholic. When I think about the issue of alcohol, it has a, a gravity, an importance, a centrality to it. So if we were to talk about, say, alcohol at church, alcohol at a church event, it's not just about, it's not an abstract issue, is it, about alcohol. I bring my whole life to that. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong at all with that. But it still it informs how I may, may take something that actually is a molehill and turn it into a mountain. Okay? Does that make sense? The lived experience of a particular event, whether it's alcoholism, racism, whatever it may be, is important. It's an important eyewitness account. But eyewitness account is not Eyewitness testimony is not expert testimony. There's a big difference. But eyewitness testimony can be very deceptive, actually. Okay, so if I come to the table with all of the freight of my emotions, the freight of my experiences, etc., and I make that this, this card that trumps everything else, this card that sort of is the final authority on an issue, and this is all that its life is about, I will make mountains out of molehills. So why do I make issues, small issues into big ones? First, I want to be right. Second, my own lived experience, misusing that lived experience. Third, it's the hot topic in the news. We know this is a huge issue. Why? Because it's all over the news. And so often the Christian church has made the agenda of the news media the agenda of the church. And it's a tragic mistake. 
tragic mistake. Guys, it is just, I can't tell, I can't encourage you enough. Listen, be informed. Be informed. Great. But turn it off. Please turn it off. It, you don't know how recent the 20, we used to think, we, we live life now just thinking the 24 hour news cycle is normal. It wasn't, right? Most of you can think of a time before the 24 hour news cycle, right? Most of you can think of a time when news reporters would get two degrees. This is actually truth. They would get two degrees. What, was the, what were the two degrees? One was in journalism, and the other was in the area where they were going to be journalists. Does that make sense? So if you were going to be a political affairs or foreign affairs journalist, what would you do? You would get a degree in international relations. And that was an undergrad. And many of the good ones, they would go on and get a master's in you know, some sort of international affairs, specializing in Germany. And they would speak German. Okay? There aren't these 25-year-olds walking around with a journalism degree from wherever, just doing bait-click and all this crap that's happening. The standards within journal journalism in the last 20, 30 years have just bottomed out. And you've got to be aware that this, this person who's writing this, I mean, they may know, and, and here's how you know. Those of you, take, take your field of, of study, the, the thing that you know most about, your vocation, and go find an article on it. And you read that article and think, you'll say, this person knows nothing about my field. Because they don't. They're just, they happen to read a few things and they decide to put up an article and that's it. So that's the news. That's what, that's what we're getting 24-7. That's what we're buying into. So why do we, why, why are we make mountains out of molehills? Because we love to be right. Because of lived experience. Three, because of hot topics in the news. Even fourth and finally, and this can be the most dangerous. When we have some measure of training in the field that concerns the issue. Just recently, this is so funny, so just recently someone asked me, they said, well, we're talking about the, you know, the war in Ukraine, in Ukraine-Russia, and they said to me, well, Bruce, you were in the military for nine years. So what do you think about, you know, this whole war? Yeah, I, I don't know anything more than those other I know nothing. I mean, yeah, I was in the military for nine years, so what? I mean, <laughs> I mean, that does not make me an expert in this field. But I can remember when about six, 12 months into, into the COVID uh, pandemic, I asked the doctors, a Christian doctor, GP, I just said, what do you think about this, all that's going on, whatever? And he wonderfully, he, he wisely said to me, he is, here's my take, I'll give you my take. But he said, you know what, there are other doctors who are just as capable, just as, in fact, more capable than I am, who would disagree with me. And they disagree with me quite strongly. You should go listen to them as well. Isn't that interesting? See, some per, sometimes we can have some measure of expertise in an area, and our temptation is to think that somehow we've, we, we just know all there is to know. Or we're hanging around certain people, and therefore we have the right perspective. And we can major on the issue because it's what we live and breathe every single day. So let me just, um, let me just make a few comments about what the text that Lydia read. In, verse four, in chapter, 13, I'm sorry, chapter 14, verse 13, she says this, or Paul says this. He says, don't say, go away. Do you see that there? The very first, very first lines there, it's so powerful. Look at, uh, again, just Romans uh, 13, uh, 14, uh, verse 13 here. It says this. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Paul says, don't say, go away. 
You've got to stop judging each other in these matters. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. And um, so Paul says, don't say go away, but he says, on the, on the, on, rather, he says, make a way. Look at the rest of the verse there. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Isn't that beautiful? He says, don't say go away. Rather, make a way for the person. How do you do that? You do it by giving conscience the final say. I love what Paul says here. It's so cool. Look in verses, um, look in verses, look, look in verse 14. Paul says, he addresses the issue of diet. Remember last week we talked about how diet and dates, these were the issues that were facing the, the, the Roman church. Verse 14, For I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. Do you hear what Paul? So Paul says, look guys, this is, here's, the, here's my view. I am absolutely confident that no food is unclean. This is my conviction. And it's interesting that Paul actually takes the risk to actually tell him what he thinks. Right? If I had been Paul, I'd been like, I better not say what I think. In fact, look, look, look later on in the chapter. Look in verse 22. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. That's kind of interesting. Right? And, and Paul doesn't really do that here. He actually says, I'll tell you what I think. What I'm, about diet? I'm going to tell you what I think about that. All food's clean. And I think, well, wait a minute, Paul. I thought you said to keep it private. So why does he tell us? Look what he says next back in verse 14. So he says, I'm convinced of this, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. Do you see what he's saying? See, on these secondary matters, conscience is king. Conscience should have the final say. Do you see what I'm saying? So first he says, don't tell people to go away. Don't judge others. Don't send them away. Don't say go away. But make a way. Well, how do you make a way? You do that by giving conscience the final say. You see that? It's so important that we, on these disputable matters, to say, listen, here, I mean, if we actually give our view, fine, Paul does, but really, we don't need to. The most important thing to do is to let people's conscience have the final say. Verse 15, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother, destroy someone for whom Christ has died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. Okay, so the first thing he says, don't go away. He says, don't say go away, but rather make a way proactively enabling them to be part of the community, even though they differ on views. And how do you do that? You give the conscience the final say. And Paul says, that's the kingdom way. Look in verses 17 and 18. That's the kingdom way. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not about masks. It's not about vaccinations. You go on, you list all the things that are dividing our culture today. It's not about those things. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It is a matter, rather, of righteousness, of peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives a human approval. So Paul says, don't say go away, but make a way. How? By giving conscience the final say, because that's the kingdom way. And then he, the very last thing he says in verses 22 and 23 that I already mentioned, he says, keep your convictions at bay. Do you see that? Look at verse 22. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith. 
And everything that does not come from faith is sin. So Paul urges us, listen, there's a, there are certain topics you just don't need to vocalize. You just don't need to say what you keep between yourself and God. You pursue the issue, you study this, you talk about it, but keep it to yourself. Isn't that amazing? It's very important. So again, going back to the, let me close with this here. The idea here is very simple. What are the disputable matters? Matters that are, must be clear and common in Scripture. That's very helpful. And you can come to me and say, well, listen, I'm wrestling with this issue. I think it's a really important issue. Everyone's talking about it. And, and you tell me how common, how clear is it in Scripture? Because maybe the Scripture's talking about it in a different way. For example, you're not going to find the word, well, some translations you will find the word race. You're not going to find the word racism. And you can say, well, is Bible not, race is not important in the Bible because it's the word racism is not there? Absolutely, it's important. It doesn't use that language. It uses a different, a different it talks about that injustice in different lingo. Okay, so simply because you may, you know, may, may kind of read it and go, I don't know if it's there or not, come to me and say, hey, is this, how important is this? Is this in Scripture? How does, how does Scripture talk about this issue? Because it's important to me. Abuse. You're going to find the word abuse in Scripture. Probably not. Is, is abuse important in Scripture? Absolutely. It's just not using 21st century therapeutic language. Okay? And, you, and we, can't, we can't fault it for doing that. It's just from a different time, different era. And in fact, often its categories are extremely helpful and even more helpful uh, than, than our 21st century categories. Okay, let me, let me just close with this, okay? You guys have been patient this morning. I appreciate that. Um, last week I mentioned that there were two, um, two different perspectives, political perspectives out there that were often dividing the church. And I want to close with this because there was a pastor who was approached, a pastor who very much I would describe on the, the, the perspective number two approach, the approach that we could often caricature as progressive Bible-believing man, uh, a man here locally, actually, uh, in the St. Louis area. He was approached and, ta- and, and, and he was asked this question about, just saying, listen, I know you come from, from a more progressive standpoint, but these, these more conservative uh, believers over here, this is how they see things. And they, they feel that they are being, they're excluded. They feel they're being, uh, cl- they're being shut down. They feel like they're being marginalized. And when he was told that, This is his response, and I'll close with this. The pastor went quiet, and then he said softly, listen to this, I am heartbroken that my brothers and sisters elsewhere feel like they are under attack. And then he paused, and he said, I don't know them. I don't know their church, but what I can tell you is that I love them. They are part of my family. We may worship differently. We may talk differently. We may think differently. But we're still family. My prayer is that even with all these things that could potentially divide us, we will allow what unifies us to pull us together. Let's pray.